grand fanfare welcome to our podcast, Keeping Up With The Windsors, dedicated to the royal family. Each episode will be crammed to the rafters with opinions, news and commentary on the comings and goings of the family of Windsor. With your hosts and royal fangirls, Rachel Andrews and Michelle Thole. So grab yourself a cuppa, straighten up your tiara, shine your knighthood, round up your corgis and let's keep up with the Windsors. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Keeping Up the Windsors. I'm Rachel. And I'm Michelle. Royal Community, we have a very special episode for you today, a Royal Community Spotlight episode with the brilliant Catherine from the Royal Jewelry Box. If you followed and listened to the podcast for a while, you would know that Michelle and I love diamonds, we love tiaras, we love brooches, we love anything that sparkles, right? Anything that's like, yeah, anything. <laughs> We're not fussy. And we have got such a treat for you today. You're going to hear about so much history about these pieces, historical pieces, pieces that you might not have heard of before. The one thing I'm really looking forward to with Catherine is actually getting down to the nitty gritty of the pieces. Like, for instance, we've got the Queen Consort crown. There's going to be a lot of controversy around that because the diamond, they're asking for it to be brought back. You know, and I want to get a little bit more into depth with the crowns, maybe with the coronation, Rach. I also want to find out about the different engagement rings of the royal family. I was just so excited about this episode. And I want to know, what's the most expensive item in the royal collection? Exactly. So stick around, royal community. Catherine is coming up. We just want to spread the love and say thank you so much for everyone who's left a five-star review on the podcast. We love you forever. Thank you so much for being here and listening and also sharing the podcast with everyone else who loves the royals just as much as we do. Honestly, we are so grateful to have you with us. If you would like to help us keep the podcast on the air, you can over on Kofi. The link is in the show notes or the description below. And you know what, Rach? I think we should not wait one more minute. Let's get Catherine in and let's have a chat about royal jewellery. Right, so we're welcoming to the show Catherine. Catherine, you have a lovely Instagram account. Can you please let all the royal community know what your Instagram account is? Yes, my account is the Royal Jewelry Box and I'm on Instagram and it's very fun. <laughs> Amazing. Now you're in New York at the moment. So if we hear any New York noises, we're going to be really <laughs> excited and jealous all at the same time, me and Rach. Lots of, lots of sirens. That's pretty much it. Maybe a helicopter if we're lucky. I love it. I love it. Maybe we'll have like a little bingo sheet when we get if we near a helicopter. Oh, so, so good. What I absolutely love about your account, Catherine, is your account is basically all the jewellery. If you listen to the podcast, Royal Community, you know, Shell and I love diamonds. We love sparkle. We love glitter. <laughs> we love brooches, pearls. We love it all. And your account is just for jewellery, isn't it? Yeah, it's jewellery from most of the European houses. So I don't just focus on UK Royals, because I think there's so much fun stuff that exists out there that you kind of want to look at it all. Um, so I cover most of the European Royals major jewelry, because a lot of it does, funnily enough, stem from Queen Victoria and her family. And so that's what kind of interconnects them all. I love it. What got you started in that? So I actually, when I was in college, I worked at a jewelry, like a private jeweler, a jewelry store for three summers and winters that I was an undergraduate. And I love royal coverage. I love the pomp and the circumstance and the tradition. And just, you know, I've always wanted to have like that kind of environment in terms of like fancy jewelry that you wear, like 
to an event in the evening. Like that's so fun. And so my interest in jewelry and interest in royals kind of collided. And I was like, this is such an interesting kind of subject area that, you know, you see a lot of royal fashion pages, but often you don't get a lot of details on their jewelry. Or if you do, it's only from one of the royal families. And so I thought it would be kind of cool to to start that and share the research that I personally was doing just out of my own curiosity with anyone else who was interested. And when did you start your account? That's a great question. I think <laughs> I started it too. Yeah, I started it. Well, I started it, I think last summer, about a year ago. And it was very periodical. I was kind of getting into my senior year of college. And so I was very busy and I was posting a little and not. Um, and I started kind of only posting about fashion. And then I realized I wanted to shift to jewelry. And so I've had the account for about a year and then posting about jewelry for about like nine months or so. And it's been really, really fun. We asked the royal community, and we also asked your community as well, Catherine, some questions to get us in preparation for this interview today. And one of them was, what happens if the crown doesn't fit on the sovereign's head at the coronation? I don't know whether they just mean like in general, and then at the coronation, <laughs> it's like, doesn't, doesn't fit. So what, what happens in that instance? Like, tell us a little bit about the coronation yeah. crown. So they'll probably use two. So the crown that's used in the actual crowning, um, when they place the crown on the monarch's head is the St. Edward's crown. And that one was created in like 1661. It's very old. It's very heavy. And so that one they only use for the actual crowning. And then I believe Queen Elizabeth did this. She took it off and she put on the imperial state crown, which is a lot smaller, a lot lighter, a lot easier to wear. They plan, like they practice this ahead of time, obviously. So I believe Charles will have tried on both crowns before the actual coronation to make sure that there's no hiccups like that. I know for the imperial state crown before the coronation of Queen Elizabeth, it was refitted to fit her head more comfortably and to accommodate kind of her hairstyle and all that. So they do, they can stretch it. I mean, it's metal. So metal is, is stretchy and malleable. And so there are ways that they can make it a little wider, make it a little smaller. They can add lining on the inside in terms of like felt, stuff like that to make it more comfortable. But it, it, I guarantee it'll fit the day of. They plan for that. <laughs> they practice this. There's no way they're going to let it not fit. So they will, they will probably, if they need to make adjustments, they will probably make adjustments, whether that's adding a little bit more kind of cushiony material. So instead of it sitting kind of lower on the head, it sits a little higher up. So they don't have to stretch it too much or they will add a little bit more to you, stretch it out and make sure it fits. It's going to be quite a moment when we see King Charles wearing not just the St. Edward crown, but mm -hmm. actually the imperial state crown. So I think personally yes. myself, I connect the state imperial crown more to the kind of symbolism of monarch. Yeah, and I think that's completely valid because the only time the, the monarch wears the St. Edward's crown is during the coronation. Then they immediately take it off. When you see them on the balcony, they're wearing the imperial state crown. When they open parliament every year, they're wearing the imperial state crown. A lot of the portraits that you see with the robes and the scepter and the orb, that's the imperial state crown. And so that, that makes total sense. But that and the George IV diadem, those are the two kind of major pieces that you kind of associate with the monarch. And that's one that they can really easily change the fitting of so that it fits because, you know, Charles will be wearing it at least once a year for the state opening parliament. And, you know, we'll see him in portraits with it on and he'll wear it at the coronation as well. So it'll be, yeah, that's, that's kind of the defining, defining crown, I would say. Staying with the coronation now, very exciting. <laughs> Let's talk tiaras. <laughs> you have already said you have tiara, you've got a kind of like a tiara uh, wish list, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Royal Community, have, Catherine have... actually clapped her hands in, in excitement <laughs> just there. Like, like, yes, yes, oh, yes, I have. I So someone had asked me on my Instagram, tiara predictions for the coronation based on history. And I thought that was such an interesting question because there isn't a lot to go off of. You know, the last time there was a princess of Wales who was an adult at a coronation, it was like 1911 because of the 1937 coronation. Obviously, we had King George and Queen Elizabeth and Queen Elizabeth or Princess Elizabeth and Princess Margaret. So there was no Prince and Princess of Wales. The last Princess of Wales to attend a coronation was Queen Mary. And so we don't have a lot to go off of in that respect. And a lot of the peeresses who are part of the royal family, I'm thinking the Duchess of Gloucester, the Duchess of Kent, have since kind of had their own line of tiaras that they have been gifted and acquired and things like that. So it's kind of fun to think about and speculate on who will wear what. So I do have a list of what I think people will wear. Bring it on. Um, One question also that we have to consider is, will Princess Beatrice, will Princess Eugenie, will Zara, will Lady Louise, will they wear tiaras? Um, In the past, Pierce's regardless of whether or not they were royal, were allowed to wear tiaras. The rule for the coronation was like, if you have it, wear it, which is very fun. And I think we might, I mean, I think there's a chance we could see them in some tiaras. So I've included them in my list, but starting out strong, we know that Queen Camilla will be wearing the Queen Consort tiara, or Queen Consort crown. I believe it's the same one that was worn by the Queen Mother. Historically, they had new ones made for each Queen Consort. This is my speculation. I think that's probably because the past Queen Consorts were alive for subsequent coronations, so they wore their own crowns. But the one that the Queen Mother wore will be worn by Camilla. Princess of Wales. This is a fun one. (laughs) So we know she was lent three tiaras by the queen before the queen passed. The Cartier Halo scroll was lent to her. The Queen Mary's lover's knot was lent to her. And then the lotus flower was lent to her. This, This might be a hot opinion. This might be like a hot take. I think she might wear the Cartier Halo tiara, her wedding tiara, because that tiara was worn by Princess Margaret at Queen Elizabeth's coronation. So it's kind of got a history as a coronation tiara, right? And it's, You know, she could also obviously wear the Queen Mary Lover's Knot. That's her kind of signature one. But I like the idea of her bringing back her her wedding tiara. I think that would be a really nice thing to see. And she'd probably wear a smaller crown on top of that to represent herself as a peeress. And so I think that kind of complements the look of the smaller tiara. But I want to know what you guys think about what she might wear. I was thinking the Girls of Great Britain and Ireland tiara. That's the one I was thinking of. Because again, we've seen... Queen Elizabeth wear that so many times over the years and I just think that's one that has to make a public appearance at the coronation and who better to wear it other than Catherine. And it's actually interesting when Queen Mary was Princess of Wales at Queen Alexandra's coronation she wore Girls of Great Britain and Ireland except she wore it with the pearl attachments at the top not the diamonds and so that was also my second on the list of ones that Catherine might wear is the Girls of Great Britain with the pearl attachments if they still exist. The Queen never wore it with the pearls, but Queen Mary did. And I think that would be a nice one to wear too. I think I agree with you, Catherine. I actually think that the Cartier Halo would be amazing for her to wear. It's got significance. It's got a real connection with Catherine. We have seen her before in it. And we connect Mm. ourselves to Catherine and royalty with that. However, I would love her to go completely left field and wear the George IV diamond diadem. Just get that on your head, girl. It's one of my favorites (laughs) in the collection. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's a real, real long shot. I really do. But 
it's a tiara that doesn't get worn enough and it's an absolutely spectacular piece of royal jewellery for sure. And you know what I've just thought as well is that we saw obviously a lot of the European royals at Queen Elizabeth's funeral. There's going to be some amazing tiara moments from those ladies as well because they've got extensive collections, haven't they? I mean, we see them wear tiaras a lot more than the British royal family. That's true. And what's fun about that is traditionally speaking, other royal houses won't send their their monarchs, they'll send their heirs. Because traditionally, historically, there was a like a protocol issue where the older monarch at the coronation would then outrank the monarch that was just crowned. And so they wanted to avoid that. So they'd send heirs. So we know that some of these heirs have pretty amazing collections. I'm thinking of Crown Princess Victoria of Sweden, for example, and that beautiful amethyst tiara that she wears. I mean, that's one of my favorites. I'm thinking of, you know, Metamarit or Crown Princess Mary of Denmark. They have great collections. So that will be a really, really fun one to see as well. So kind of play. And a lot of them are sets. So we've got, you know, there'll be dripping in diamonds, emeralds, sapphires. It'll be a really amazing, I think, occasion, just full of sparkles of glitter. Can I go back to the Queen Consort crown, please, Catherine? Because mm-hmm. Royal Community, as you can tell, I'm just absolutely enamoured by Catherine. Yeah, and her- I'm soaking everything up. <laughs> We're writing notes. It feels like I'm revising. I, yeah. Honestly, I am loving this. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's like a history lesson in Royal Jewels, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, <laughs> honest- honestly, I just want to talk to you for like three hours. Right, okay, so let's go back to the Queen Consort crown. I've got two questions for you, okay? Mm-hmm. The first is, is it a different crown that the Prince consort wears versus the queen consort or is it the same crown is it just the consort crown it's i believe it's different because for two reasons one is in terms of design the prince consort isn't technically crowned like a queen consort is because i believe that the palace announced that she would be crowned alongside charles it'd be the same ceremony and when in the past it's been separate ceremonies at times um so it's a different crown and the queen consort crown i believe is bigger and a little bit more majestic because she is also her majesty at this point right because she's of the equal rank of her husband whereas the prince consort is technically his majesty he is just his royal highness and so he has kind of a lesser title than the queen um so it's a different crown and historically speaking it's the same design they use the koinor diamond which is that huge i think it's like 105 carat and it's just absolutely stunning and they use that diamond in the crown and then they remove it obviously when it goes to the tower to be part of the crown jewels which is actually my next question about the koinor diamond because it's very controversial at the moment and there's been lots in the press about whether it should be returned and that there is a speculation and you know we hate speculation on the podcast (laughs) but we have to mention it um, in this regard that they were suggesting and I mean the press you know the press was suggesting that the queen consort crown was not going to be used because it has that such controversial diamond so I mean, I want to see the the coronation tiara, but how do you feel about that? I mean, it's an interesting topic because there is a lot of history that has to be acknowledged, especially when you consider kind of the history of the British, you know, regime and, and how they've acquired some of their jewelry. But there's also kind of a security aspect to it, right? She'll be wearing a crown that's at least 90 years old. It's from 1937. I think it could be interesting to see them have the, the crown with the replica in it, you know, for safety reasons or omit it altogether and, you know, put something else in there. They have a plethora of diamonds that they could retrofit for that. And so I think it's possible. I think, you know, they may 
choose to just wear the tiara with the diamond and say, you know, this is the tradition and this is not what we're focusing on today. We're focusing on the coronation and the king and the queen consort. But it's definitely going to be interesting to see what they choose to do with that because the narrative can be shaped in so many different ways depending on little actions that the palace takes. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it was a quite a, an interesting conversation to have because there's enough going on with Camilla and the coronation yeah. enough regardless of adding in the they should send the, the diamond back kind of thing. So being from a British empire and acquiring these jewels in ways in which we won't go into, but there are some questions about whether they should be returned or not. Let's move on. Rachel, have you got another question for Catherine? I mean, we've got tons, but you know. I mean, yeah, we've got (laughs) And that's just me and Rachel. (laughs) So as we're talking, you know, coronations and things like that, let's talk about Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria had a lot of pieces that even now are in the Royal Collection. Can you talk about some of the jewellery that is still seen today that is in the Royal Collection that the Royals still wear? Yes, a lot of brooches. That is the main thing that you'll see today is her brooch collection was just exquisite. Prince Albert was like constantly giving her gifts of brooches and it was very romantic. So she had a lot of her brooches have lasted in perpetuity and Queen Elizabeth wore them um, pretty frequently. Like the Prince Albert brooch is one I'm thinking of in particular. It's a large sapphire surrounded by diamonds. You've probably seen it. Oh, I love that brooch. Stunning. And he gave that to her, didn't he, the day before their wedding. And she actually wore that on her wedding dress, didn't she? Yeah. It's the loveliest, most romantic gift. A huge sapphire brooch, right? Like that's amazing. It's so romantic. And he gave her so much, he had so much jewelry made for her. And the the most everlasting pieces are brooches. When we get to tiaras, when we talk about her tiaras, that's where it gets a little bit more interesting because a lot of her tiaras, she left to her daughters and granddaughters. And so they got kind of sprinkled throughout Europe and throughout, you know, England in terms of peers that they may have married. But in the actual royal collection. One remains. It is not even a tiara. It is the Queen Adelaide fringe tiara, which you probably have seen Queen Victoria wear in painted portraits. It looks very spiky. That actually still exists as a necklace. So Queen Elizabeth wore that in her New Zealand portrait that was taken in 2012. She wore the Queen Mary fringe tiara and then the Queen Adelaide fringe necklace. Um, So that's the only one that kind of exists and is worn. Two other of her tiaras exist One of them is at Kensington Palace. It's the Emerald in Diamond Tiara. And that one actually belongs to the estate of the third Duke of Fife, whose family is descended from Queen Victoria. And so that's on permanent loan at Kensington Palace. So they have it. It's on display. You can see it. We've seen that quite a few times, haven't we? And and then one other exists at the Victorian Albert Museum. It's her blue sapphire and diamond crown. But the, the rest of hers, you know kind of were lost. One of them is the the Indian circlet tiara. That one the queen owned. She hasn't worn it since the 90s or 2000s. So we haven't seen it in a while. And then there are three that we have not seen since the early 1900s, which are the strawberry leaf tiara, which went to the Carisbrook family, which are descendants of Princess Beatrice, who's Queen Victoria's youngest daughter. The sunray fringe tiara, which was also left to Princess Beatrice. We haven't seen that since the early 1900s, I think. And then the pearl and diamond tiara, which may have made it into the Swedish line somehow from the Connets. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Catherine, there's got to be a housemaid out there wearing it whilst they're dusting. 
It's got to be somewhere. And the thing is, it's probably still in these collections because if it popped up at auction, someone would have noticed. But these days, they're not worn unless it's for a wedding or like a state affair that they're being invited to or a private event. But obviously, we wouldn't have photos of that. And some of them we do know they got rid of. And that's just how it is. Unfortunately, people sell them. The inheritance tax in England is kind of hefty if you inherit a large piece of jewelry like that. And so a lot of the time it is necessary to sell those pieces. And that's what happened to Princess Margaret's kids. They had to sell some of her jewelry to pay that tax. Yeah, because they sold the um, the Baltimore tiara, didn't they? Yeah, Which they was did. famous for that pose that she did for her then husband, Anthony Armstrong Jones. Yeah. And it's her in the bath, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. quite risque at the time because it looked like she was naked as such. Was that the one with the crown where they had those photo- the photographers yeah. taking pictures? <laughs> mm-hmm. And that one, they sold it, I think in 2004, 2006, and they got, I think, almost a million dollars for it. Mm-hmm. And they had to pay it. They had to sell it to pay that tax. It is a yeah. shame, isn't it? Like you said, because you think... When Princess Margaret was in her younger years, she was the royal poster girl. Such she was the Catherine of her time, wasn't she? She was mm-hmm. the royal it girl, and. I loved the old photos of when she used to go to movie premieres or she'd go to the theatre or the ballet. It was custom back then to wear a tiara, to wear all these big jewels, and we just don't get yeah. that anymore. I know, I know. It's that's such a shame. That's what's, <laughs> it is a shame because I think it would be more fun to see that kind of stuff come out. And I think it's interesting the way they style it and the way they choose to wear their different jewelry. And you kind of, as they continue to do it, you start to see almost like a jewelry personality. You know, we saw the queen wear so much jewelry during her life. And very quickly we could, you know, the press could tell, public could tell which ones she liked the most, which ones she wore the most and why she wore certain pieces based on significance and who gave them to her. So it's a really fun way to express your personality very subtly through your jewelry. And I, I I agree with you. It's a shame that they don't do it more. I always wondered, is there a like massive royal jewelry vault at Buckingham Palace, for example? Like, where are these jewels actually kept? <laughs> Rachel wants to go and ransack it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I do. But do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when they say, I don't know, Megan was looking at so-and-so tiara for her wedding. And obviously... They bring certain tiaras out, certain ones they wouldn't have brought out for certain people to view because, you know, apparently usually wanted to wear a certain tiara on her day. So that wasn't shown to Megan, for example. But there must be like, like you said, like so many pieces that just haven't been worn for years. There must be a room or something within the palace, deep within the palace, where none of us will ever know where it is, that all these jewels are kept. So I think you're right. We will never know, of course, because obviously, why would they tell us where they are? That's just inviting someone to come try to break in. I think if I had, with my experience working in jewelry in the past, considering security precautions, I would imagine they're probably split up. And this is just my own speculation. I'd imagine that some of them are kept in in the palace and then some of them may be kept at Cartier or Girard or wherever they were made in vaults there just for security reasons to ensure that there's more security and You don't want to keep all your valuables, obviously, in one spot because that can be really risky if something were to happen, not even a break-in, but a fire, you know, flooding damage, all that kind of stuff. It just, you know, creates a risk. Um, So I'd imagine they're probably spread out in different vaults depending on where and depending on that kind of thing. And then, you know, it's always a possibility that the women who they're lent to, tiaras in particular, you know, I posted on my Instagram story a while back, the scene from the Princess Diaries where Princess Mia walks into her new room. And Julie Andrews opens the like closet and you can, she's got all those tiaras and she says, they're yours. 
to borrow with great, what is it, with great discretion at appropriate times. And so even though they're lent to her, they're in her closet. So that's also a possibility. I imagine the smaller things, earrings, brooches, necklaces are probably with the people that they're lent to, but everything except for the crown jewels, which are obviously kept at the Tower of London, is it is kept at, at one palace or in a jewelry vault at a jeweler in London, I would imagine. I want to go back to the point we were making earlier about jewellery being romantic um, because Mm -hmm. it is a really massive connection to somebody's love, isn't it? And we went to an exhibition, Prince Philip at Windsor Castle, and there was a a piece of jewellery that he had made for the Queen. I think it was, was it a bracelet, Rach? I think there was like a few bracelets, but the yeah. main piece was the scarab brooch. Yeah, and what was lovely was just understanding that he chose that and he worked with the designer really closely, the same as Prince Albert. The bro- mm-hmm. I'm sure, obviously, the William or, you know, etc. have those intimate moments. I mean, especially when we, we have to, we just have to talk about engagement rings. And that's a great point too, because Prince Philip had the engagement ring for Queen Elizabeth designed from diamonds from his mother, Princess Alice's tiara that she had when she left Greece. Um, And he designed it with her in mind with those diamonds. And the bracelet, I didn't see the exhibit, but the bracelet that you are speaking of, he had some of the diamonds made from that tiara into a bracelet for Elizabeth as a wedding gift. So it might've been that one along with the brooch. Yeah, it did have diamonds in it. Yeah, it's very sentimental and it's very romantic how these princes, like they're princes, of course. It's so romantic to think of the idea, but then they are designing these gorgeous pieces for their wives and it's it's amazing to see how sentimental the pieces become yeah and then we know that Catherine has princess diana's engagement ring that's sentimental and can we talk a little bit more then about the engagement rings because obviously we know that the duchess of sussex has different stones in her engagement ring meaning different things but actually do you know what this this is a point that i don't think i've ever thought about i haven't actually seen princess eugenie's engagement ring or beatrice or zara's so do we know much about their engagement rings we do so zara's is plain diamond it's just like a very simple diamond i think it's like a round or an oval diamond and it's set with maybe two other diamonds. I have a picture of it on here somewhere on my Instagram. And Beatrice's looks just like the Queen's. Beatrice's is a round diamond with two side stones. So it looks like the Queen's. And Eugenie's is a ruby with diamonds around that looks like her mom's engagement ring. Oh, wow. I never knew this. It's so interesting. Can we talk a little bit about the Queen Consort's engagement oh, ring? I love Maybe, that one. You know, when the Duchess of York got married, that type of thing. And also Sophie, the Countess of Wessex. Come on, I'm, I want to nerd up on engagement <laughs> rings now. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, those are fun. So the Duchess of York, Sarah Ferguson, when she got engaged to Prince Andrew, got a red ruby surrounded by, I believe, round diamonds, but it gives a very floral motif. And the red, I believe, was chosen to complement her hair color, which is very, again, romantic to think about. And then when Eugenie got engaged, immediately people were like, that looks just like her mom's ring. And so she also has a red ruby surrounded by other diamonds. The design is a little different. I think her diamond or her center stone is a little bit rounder, but it's very reminiscent of her mom's ring. Sophie Wessex's is, I think, similarly just a round diamond and... That's very, it's very traditional. It's very standard, especially these, these pieces they're buying new aren't necessarily super flashy with obviously there are some exceptions. Um, The queen concerts engagement ring is, I love it. It's amazing. I'm a sucker for an emerald cut diamond. I think it's gorgeous. And obviously the princess of Wales engagement ring is to die for. It's amazing. But there's a lot of sentimentality in these engagement rings and you can see the kind of thought that goes into it from the 
you know, perspective of the prince or the man that's proposing to the, you know, the design. And I'm particularly thinking of Beatrice and Eugenie because their engagement rings are so reminiscent of the rings of important women in their lives. Absolutely. What's then really interesting about Diana's engagement ring is that it wasn't part of the royal collection, was it? Was it made by Gerard, was it? I think so. I'm almost positive. I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, it wasn't part of the collection. Like as Camilla's, I believe, was the Queen Mother's. Diana picked a new one. Yeah. And do we know what's happened to the Queen's engagement ring? Has that just gone back into the royal collection? So in years to come, that might be seen again? It might. I mean, I don't think she would have been buried with it. I'm thinking of, you know, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, even Queen Mary were very, they loved jewelry, they wore it all the time, but they were also very smart about it. And so they knew it had value, right? They knew it had value to the women that would wear it after them. So I can't imagine that she would be buried with it. I kind of think it would be a very sweet you know, moment for the ring to sit away for a while. And maybe George uses it when he gets engaged one day. And and Mm. that's a great way to keep the memory of the queen involved in his life. In terms of royal engagement rings, it's very modestly sized. It's about three carats. You know, it's not totally huge. It's not over the top. It's very appropriate for, I think, an engagement ring of the woman who's going to be queen, um, the woman who was queen. So I I have a a sneaking suspicion that may be what happens to it. I think that would be a great way to keep the queen involved in the life of Prince George as he grows up. When you said that, I kind of was just like, (laughs) I know. And that is actually my favorite royal engagement ring. The queen's engagement ring is. It's really sweet. Yeah. I'd say mine's the Duchess of Sussex. I think I really like hers. It's very unusual. She she had that adapted, didn't she? Because wasn't it when they first got engaged, a gold band, wasn't it? I don't remember. I think it might have been. And then she changed either the order of the stones. I will say her engagement ring, as someone who worked with, like I worked with couples designing engagement rings, her engagement ring reminds me a lot of the kind of stuff that people really like. It's also pretty similar to, at least in, it's a three stone ring, which is what the queen had. And it's very popular design. It's also very timeless. So I, I'm not surprised. And it's also to the point of her getting it fixed. Cause I know a lot of people were very, there was a lot of talk in the press about, oh, she got her engagement ring changed. And she's been re- married for a year. That is so common. Mm. I don't think people realize how common it is. An engagement ring is a really heavy piece of jewelry and you're wearing it on this hand constantly. First of all, you don't realize how much stuff your hand touches at this angle until you wear a ring like that and it's constantly knocking on stuff. And so I I see it all the time where a woman will wear a ring for a year, year and a half, and she's like, you know what, it's just a little too, it it moves around too much or, you know, the balance is a little weird with my finger, it's too heavy. And so they change it and it's totally normal to do that. It's totally normal to see that because ultimately what you want is a ring that's comfortable on your finger and that you really like. But her ring still maintains that signature three stone design that's very timeless that kind of resonates with what the queen had. Well, Catherine must have a problem because that, the size of that rock, geez, you can see that from a mile away, can't you? And it, you can tell it rotates constantly. I feel so bad for her. She needs speed bumps, which are little humps of metal that we put on the base, the back of a ring to hold the ring in place because it's, you look at the ring and it's, it's so top heavy. There's nothing on the back and the band is so thin. I feel so bad for her. She's all, you can always see her kind of moving it back to where it's supposed to be. I was yeah. like, oh, 
you need a little bit of counterbalance on that. She just needs a thicker band in the back, but I'm not going to be the one to tell her. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Princess of Wales, guess what? <laughs> you need to fix your ring, girl. I know. They they do use Welsh gold for the wedding bands. And it's it was quite interesting to me that William chose not to have a wedding band when they got married. Is that something that is quite normal for royal males when they get married? Historically, I believe it has been. In the more modern times, it's, it's not really that common. I don't think Prince Philip wore one and I'm not sure that Prince Charles wore one although I know he wore his signet ring and so sometimes people don't like to wear it. like I have one they don't like to wear rings next to each other because that kind of can be weird it's it's kind of a hyper tradition it also could be too that I had a client once who was constantly losing his ring like would take it off put it in his pocket when they went to the beach or when he worked out and he lost it like three times and his wife was like just stop wearing it like I can't we can't do it or just get a cheap one yeah. and so maybe he's like a forgetful type and he doesn't want to lose it or forget to wear it one day, of course. So, you know, that could also be possible. But it, it's it's a little hyper-traditional to not wear one. It's, in my opinion, a little antiquated. But I love the tradition of using the Welsh gold, especially now that they're Prince and Princess of Wales, I think really special. And I'd love to see him start wearing a Welsh gold wedding band now that he is Prince of Wales, because I think that would be a really special way to incorporate his, his new title. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what the oldest jewellery piece is within the Royal Collection? Like, have we got any records of that? Yes. The oldest piece of jewelry in the Royal Collection depends on how you define jewelry. It's actually a spoon. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Is it a silver spoon in their mouths? <laughs> Almost. It is the, it's a gold spoon that they use in the coronation. And it's what's used to anoint the monarch with the holy oil. Mm. And so it's a gold spoon that dates back to 1649. And it's part of the crown jewel. So it's not technically a piece of jewelry. But it is pretty old. The St. Edward's crown would probably be the most, the oldest proper piece of jewelry in the crown jewels, and that's 1661. But in terms of regularly worn jewelry, the oldest piece is the George IV diamond diadem, which is what we spoke about earlier, and that's from 1820. And that one was was created for George IV's coronation, and it's lasted until you know today, almost two, two over 200 years now, and it's in great shape actually for being that old. Surprisingly, it's, it's, it's so sparkly in real life. Yeah, exactly. So. Oldest thing is a spoon. Oldest crown is the St. Edward's crown. And the oldest like regularly worn piece is the George IV diamond diadem. Do you know what happened to, now this is going way back in the history files now. Are there any remnants of Queen Elizabeth I? Like she was famous for her jewellery, wasn't she? And even her mother, Anne Boleyn, she wore that famous pearl bee necklace. Mm -hmm. Whatever happened to the pearls on that? Are they still in the Royal Collection? So... It's unclear. Part of the issue is pearls are so regular looking, like it's almost impossible to identify a pearl as it's lasted, right? So it's very possible that those pearls were put back and then they were used to restring necklaces. Queen Alexandra was a huge pearl wearer. She was constantly wearing like layers and layers and layers of pearl necklaces. So it's very possible. It's not entirely sure. In terms of Anne Boleyn's bee necklace, we don't know where that ended up. And no one, I don't think, knows where it is. Or if it exists, it's not public because obviously of the events surrounding her death. But yeah, those pearls, it's hard to trace pearls. They could be in the collection. It wouldn't surprise me if they were restrung. But pearls also tend to yellow as they get older. And so, you know, pearls from that long ago might not be in the best shape to be worn consistently these days. We just don't know. As we're talking about pearls, you automatically think about Queen Elizabeth, that three strand mm -hmm. pearl necklace, so synonymous yes. with her. 
And pearl earrings. Just yeah. do you think we obviously when we had the Queen's funeral last month, we saw a lot of pearl pieces coming out. So we saw Princess Catherine, she was wearing um, the Diana Collingwood earrings. And she was also wearing the three strand pearl bracelet, wasn't she? Yeah. Are we only going to see those pieces? Do you think uh, things like the Queen's funeral? I think we'll see more pearls. The Queen always wore pearls. And we saw a lot of pearls at the funeral because pearls are very traditional in terms of mourning. Queen Victoria loved pearls. And so she wore them a lot after Prince Albert's death. But also she thought that they kind of represented tears. And so they're very traditionally worn for mourning and for funerals and things like that, because they're also not super flashy you could wear a pearl necklace without seeming like you're dressed over the top for someone else's funeral. So that's why they were really popular then. I do think we'll see more of them. I'm thinking of the queen consort today who just yesterday was wearing like, they call it her workhorse necklace. It's a necklace that she wears like 200 out of the 365 days of the year. She wears it all the time. She has so many like three, four strand pearls. I think it's just a really classic look. And, you know, as a woman gets older Every day, jewelry becomes more and more common, I think. A lot of women choose to wear more jewelry the older that they get as their kind of jewelry collection grows. And so I definitely think we'll see more pearls from everyone involved in the royal family. And I hope we see more pearl brooches from the Princess of Wales. I'm thinking of her Cambridge portrait where she wore the Cambridge pearl brooch, which I loved and everyone loved. And I thought that was a great look for her. So I think we will see more pearls. Catherine certainly has a lot in her collection from Princess Diana and from, you know, loans from the Queen. So I, I do hope we see them. And I think we will. What I found really interesting to Powers was Queen Victoria actually gifted her daughters and granddaughters a single pearl every year of their life until they was 18. So then they could make either a necklace or earrings or a bracelet. And I just thought that was yeah. such a lovely, significant piece, keeping something that's really special. And, you know, we talk about these family heirlooms, but they are a family at the end of the day. And these pieces just get yeah. passed down from generation to generation, don't they? They absolutely do, which is, it's fun to see that too, because then you see tiaras that you didn't even know still existed or tiaras that you, you know, hadn't seen in a while and a new generation is wearing them. And so it's always fun to see that. And I'm excited to see what happens when Princess Charlotte comes of age and she starts to wear more jewelry and you know, as Princess Royal, her grandfather is the king, her father will be king, she will have besides her mother, some of the most access to this jewelry than any other woman in the family at one point in her life. And so it'll be really fun to see what she chooses to bring out of the vault and, and what she continues to wear. I mean, you can look at the the funeral with that cute little brooch with the horse on it and it was a gift from the queen I mean that was a big royal fashion moment wasn't it it was huge and I think seeing her in that brooch is kind of it's symbolic for the queen obviously but it's also kind of a signal that those quote-unquote antiquated practices of wearing brooches of dressing and you know a lot of jewelry every day they're not dead and that you know hopefully I'm thinking of in particular Princess Anne right when she was younger she was wearing tiaras to all these events she was wearing a lot of jewelry she was giving gifted brooches and tiaras and I'm hoping that we'll see that with Charlotte as the second daughter of the Prince of Wales as the future Princess Royal that she'll be able to wear a lot of the jewelry we haven't seen in a while and hopefully you know debut some new pieces that she has has earned in her own right. Well, Princess Anne, her first tiara moment was actually the Cartier Halo, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. and that was and that was actually one of the questions. Do you think we'll ever see and when will we see Charlotte wearing a tiara? I think it depends. So this is a great question, and I get these kinds of speculative questions all the time. And I think it depends. I think it depends on who 
is the king when she is like 16, 17, 18. And also what her plan is, right? Princess Anne did not go to university because she became a working royal almost immediately when she was 18. And so it was appropriate for her, her to wear a tiara. <laughs> I love her. She's Her energy is amazing. And I think what's funny is Charlotte reminds people of Anne. You know, there's the videos of her being like, George, when the car comes by, you need to bow. And everyone's like, Princess Charlotte. <laughs> She's got it. She's got it. She's got it on lock. So I, I definitely see her being a very active royal. But, you know, she will likely choose to go to university as most modern women do. And so she probably won't start working as a full-time royal until she's in her mid-20s. And that could be when we start to see more tiaras from her in terms of evening wear, going to state occasions, stuff like that. So I, I definitely see her wearing one for her 18th birthday. Obviously, the convention of women don't wear a tiara until they're married is kind of out the window, especially in the royal family, because like you said, we have seen Princess Anne in tiaras before that. And as Charlotte is the future princess royal it would be appropriate for her to wear one before her 18th birthday but i i imagine we'll see her in some and i would love to see her in some of the tiaras we haven't seen i would love to see her in like the lotus flower tiara which is something that one that her mother wore i think in 2015 but that hadn't been seen in a while and then of course some other tiaras um, the cartier halo would be adorable to see her in you know those are kind of the more appropriate tiaras for a, a younger woman and then of course she could always get one princess anne received one for her 18th birthday from her parents so it's always possible that charlotte could could receive one as well yeah i want to just bring the tone down slightly i'm going to say the grossest bit of jewelry <laughs> i've ever seen in my life from the royal collection sure. And it's it. What, you, what do you think I'm going to say, Rach? I, I honestly, I don't know. <laughs> It'll be anything. I know, I know this is really sweet. And if you're a mother, this is adorable. But in the Royal Collection, I saw, I think it was in the Buckingham Palace, there was an exhibition on Queen Victoria, but she made a pair of earrings out of her baby's teeth and it freaked me out i thought you were gonna say a locket of like a locket of hair like oh no there was that as well that's also that, yeah that's also there was common. that as well definitely but there was literally a pair of earrings with baby's oh, teeth no. and i was just <laughs> like i don't know whether i like that or not yeah that queen victoria was very very sentimental yeah. very sentimental yeah. and i appreciate that but that's also a very and victorians were very like they did a lot of stuff in terms of like kind of pushing the boundaries of like yeah well they used to do death portraits didn't they yeah yeah and they would have jewelry made when someone died that was black enamel that they would wear with them that had the image of them on it so it doesn't really surprise me i cannot imagine we will ever see any modern royal wear something like that i don't know what i would do if i saw Kate Middleton step out with Louis' teeth on her ears, like, oh my God, that would be insane. But that doesn't surprise me that Victoria did that. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, just, I just remember that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> just remember, Royal Community, all these questions we are asking Catherine are questions that have been asked by the Royal Community over on Instagram and also Catherine's lovely followers over at the Royal Jewelry Box as well. Okay, we have a question come up that says, what is the most expensive piece in the collection and what is the equivalent price today? So that is a tough question for a couple of reasons. One is that when we're evaluating jewelry and trying to determine a monetary value, part of the consideration is something called provenance. So in art history, in jewelry history, a provenance is the list of people who have owned a particular piece of art or jewelry or clothing or something like that. When you have a previous owner that is very high profiles, such as the Queen of England, the value of the piece goes up exponentially because that becomes part of the history of the piece and the history of the jewelry that's, you know, inescapable. And so if we were to look at the piece on its face value versus with its provenance, the values would be different because the 
influence of having been owned by the queen is so huge on the price of the piece. So to that extent, I can't say for sure what would be the most expensive. I can say that probably knowing what we know now, it would be the Cullinan one diamond. So the Cullinan diamonds are nine diamonds. It was originally 3,106 carats, which is insanely massive. It was found in South Africa in 05, and then it was cut down into nine smaller diamonds and given to Edward VII in 1907. The largest of these diamonds is the Cullinan one diamond, which is 530 carats. It's set currently in the Sovereign Scepter and it's part of the Crown Jewels along with the Cullinan II. When we went to see the Queen Lion and State Royal Community, if you were listening and I said that there was that diamond that I just kept looking at and kept looking at, it was that diamond that Catherine's talking about. It's the Cullinan yes. one, the Star it's of Africa, huge. isn't it? Yes, it's huge. And in eight, 1908, it was valued. So a year after it was given to the king. It was valued at 2.5 million U.S. dollars, which in 2020 is, I believe, roughly 52 million U.S. dollars. And that's just one of the nine diamonds that, yeah. that was cut from that original huge diamond. So in terms of value, that would probably be the most expensive, 52 million. And then since it's been part of the crown jewels, right, if it were to be sold, which it never will be. If it were to be sold, though, it would I, would I would say it would fetch upwards of $75 million just at, as the result of having been part of the crown jewels for over 100 years at this point. But the rest of the crown jewels, they get subsequently smaller, or the rest of the colonins get subsequently smaller in size. Um, but the smaller they get, the more frequently they're worn, of course. And so we, you, you see them more than you think you do. Yeah, because the queen has worn that, the brooch with the two. I think it's like Cullinan three and four or whatever it is. Yeah, um, she wears that. Chips. Yeah, she, she wore, yeah, exactly, Granny's Chips. Yeah. She, <laughs> she wore that quite a lot, didn't she? She did. So Granny's Chips brooch is made of the Cullinan three and Cullinan four diamonds, which are 95 and like 64 carats, respectively. And you've seen her wear it before. It's like a large kind of squarish, it's an Asher cut, I think, diamond. And then it's kind of a pear shaped hanging from it huge. Queen Mary loved it. It had been, the Cullinan 3 had been set in the Delhi Durbar tiara at some point. It's no longer set there because it's in the brooch. So yeah, those two are in Granny's Chips. And then there is another brooch that she wears that's with Cullinan 6 and Cullinan 8. It's just a smaller brooch that was originally part of the Delhi Durbar stomacher that Queen Elizabeth has worn in the past as well. Yeah. And as we know, Cullinan 2 is in the Imperial State Crown. Yes, so, that's... yeah just spectacular just honestly and they're internally flawless they have almost no color which is insane it is one of the most rare diamond finds that will probably ever exist and the science behind it is fascinating and the the way it was created was fascinating the way they cut it when they brought it to the king and he decided to accept it as a gift he chose joseph asher in amsterdam to cut it into nine pieces and when he he had to take this huge diamond with him back to the Netherlands from the UK. And so they did this huge fanfare. The Royal Navy took it on a yacht and there was security there. And the one that they took decoy and Joseph Asher had put the real diamond in his pocket, got on a train and then a ferry and took it to Amsterdam from there. Love Meanwhile, that. everyone wow. thought that it was on this big boat. I mean, it's just, it's just <laughs> fascinating to think about. Yeah, it's just incredible. I love it. And we could also talk about the history of the Black Prince Ruby, right, in the Imperial State Crown, because that's got a, a wonderful story to it as well. We'll leave that for another podcast. So we've spoken about Queen Elizabeth. She was known for her brooch collection. 
what was some of the brooches that she wore the most during her lifetime and what was the significance behind the brooch? So she had such a large brooch collection and the, the, this question, I want to kind of split it up into two because I think the most significant ones aren't necessarily her most worn ones and the most worn ones can kind of fall into their own category. So I don't know if anybody knows how frequent, which one is the most frequently worn because obviously you have to go back pretty much to every day of her life and tally up which one she wore when. I would say the bow, her bow brooch was brooches were probably her most frequently worn. She has five of them, I believe. Kensington bow brooch, Dorset bow brooch, and then three Queen Victoria bow brooches. Say that five times fast. And <laughs> Drinking game. <laughs> I know. And she wore those all the time. Every combination, the Dorset bow brooch, any of the three Queen Victoria brooches she wore. And so I would say her bow brooches were her most frequently worn because A, there were five of them that she wore pretty frequently. She kept them in and out of rotation. And that those were, were favorites of hers. Her significant ones, though, are really interesting because she was so conscious about how she chose her jewelry. She often chose jewelry that had a really particular meaning or backstory that was related to whatever she was doing that day or whatever photo she was in. Um, the one that I think of kind of immediately when I think of this is the scarab brooch, which you mentioned earlier, which was a, a gift from Prince Philip that she wore for her platinum anniversary portrait with him. I think of Granny's chips, which she also likes a lot. They were favorites of Queen Mary's and I know Queen Elizabeth wore them pretty frequently as well. Not as frequently as some other ones, but you, you saw them like they they were there, especially for bigger occasions for official portraits. And then the other one I think of is the sapphire chrysanthemum brooch. And she wore this one, I think, probably for the longest. She wore she got it when she was, God, like 21, 22 in 1946 when she launched an oil tanker and she wore it really frequently and she wore it on her honeymoon. And there's pictures of her and Prince Philip on their honeymoon wearing this brooch. And she wore the brooch again in her 60th anniversary portrait with Prince Philip. And she wore it in, you know, christening portraits for Princess Anne and a lot of kind of family moments she chose to wear it for, which I thought was really sweet. And so I think those are the three I think of, but obviously there's many more. There's the maple leaf brooch that she wore almost every time she was in Canada and for almost everything related to Canada, which is very nice. Same with, she's got a New Zealand brooch that she wore a lot. She's got her aquamarine clips that she wears. Um, so she's got a, a large, large brooch collection. It'll be really interesting to see who starts to wear some of the pieces that she had. Um, and obviously that's also not including the regimental brooches that she had for all the branches of the military and, you know, different guards that she was in charge of. She had individual brooches for them as well. I'm really disappointed that she never had a corgi brooch. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Me too. I feel like that would have been something that someone would have given her, at least yeah. for her jubilee or something. I know. Because that was such was... a big part. Even if Absolutely. it was like a novelty, novelty, a novelty one, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. they're supposed to buy like really crappy presents, aren't they, on Christmas? Yeah, <laughs> maybe she, maybe she has it and she wears it in private, but we just never see it. I know she has one, like one horse brooch that she wears, like in public, which is mm -hmm. also surprising. You would think that she would have more, but I don't think that the the kind of novelty brooches that you, you know, the cheeky ones with the horse or the corgi. Maybe she wasn't such a big fan. I don't know, mm -hmm. but it would have been lovely to see her in one. Yeah, the, big, the bigger the better. That's what I say. She, <laughs> yeah, she had some big ones, didn't she? <laughs> yeah, exactly. A couple of people had asked, can jewelry be dismantled? Can tiaras be dismantled if they don't like them anymore? 
And this is something that's actually super interesting to me because they do it all the time. Famously, the exam of Hyderabad tiara, which is this huge, you know, kind of floral tiara that the queen had, it was gifted to her and she had it dismantled and turned into a necklace that has been worn. I don't know if it's on loan, but it's been worn by the Princess of Wales and she had it made into brooches that she wore. And I thought that was always really interesting that she took a tiara that she had worn as a tiara and turned it into something else. Similarly with the Queen Adelaide fringe tiara, they stopped wearing it as a tiara in 1936. They only wear it as a necklace now. And so the answer to that question is yes, they frequently dismantle tiaras. They franken tiara things all the time. Sophie Wessex's wedding tiara was actually created out of pieces that were brooches worn by Queen Victoria that were not ever worn. They were just kind of sitting around. And so they took them and they made them into a tiara. So it's really amazing to see how they reuse these pieces. Like I said, Queen Mary in particular was very thoughtful about how she used her jewelry and was made sure that they were very versatile pieces. And the, I mean, so they, they do it all the time. They dismantle stuff all the time. And so the stuff you haven't seen in a while, it might still exist, but it also could be the new necklace that the queen wore, you know, or the queen will wear. You just don't know that it's from something else. We went to the Sotheby's tiara exhibition that was put on over the Jubilee. Royal community, if you want to see that video, we have it over on YouTube, Keep It Up With The Windsors. And what was amazing when we went there, and there was about 50, wasn't there, Rachel? Lots and lots of tiaras. What was amazing, exactly what you were saying, Catherine, because we could see the way in which they were constructed. Mm -hmm. You could see the the way the hair clip was that attaches to the head or where it dismantles and becomes a brooch. And I, I just assumed, I don't know why, but I just assumed a tiara was a tiara, a brooch was a brooch. But actually, when you go to these absolutely beautiful tiaras that are worth thousands of pounds, yeah. sometimes millions of pounds, they have these different uses because you don't wear tiaras every day. There's only certain types of um, events that you can wear them, but you can wear a brooch every day or a pair of earrings or exactly. do you know what I mean. So it's having that yeah. versatility allows them to be worn in in so many different. I mean, to be honest, I'd wear it going to the supermarket. I would. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) And it's interesting to see it too, because they they are so versatile with their pieces and even smaller ones like earrings. You know, I'm thinking of Queen Maxima of the Netherlands. She's got this amazing, huge diamond earring that can be worn as a stud. And when she wears it as a stud, you can see a tiny, tiny little gold jump ring at the bottom of it where you can hook in another dangling portion. So they're so even, you know, in, in Europe and the European royals, they're so versatile with their jewelry and they really, it's very economical the way they use it. They're very particular about what occasions they wear it for. You know, they're always looking appropriate um, with their jewelry. The way they choose their jewelry is, is very specific, whether or not they own it or they're being lent it. And so because they can make so many additions and changes, it allows them to, to have that kind of versatility. Yeah. Catherine, you went to that Summer Bees exhibition, didn't you? I did. I did. Oh I went, my like, goodness, on the what did you day. think? I thought it was uh, stunning and amazing. It was yeah. unbelievable. And it was free. Some of it was stuff. free. I know. It was, <laughs> it was amazing. I was, I dragged, we were on vacation in London. I told my family, I was like, I have to go to this thing. They extended it. If I don't go, I will cry. And so they were like, fine, we'll go. So we all went, it was pouring rain. So luckily we jumped in to Sotheby's and my mom was like, this is amazing. This is incredible. Yeah. Like, this is just the best thing ever. And had been following Princess Diana, obviously, since the royal wedding. And she, the Spencer tiara was there. And my mom was like, oh my God, it's like even better in person to see 
you know, and the way they displayed it was also really incredible with some of the tiaras were almost like floating in air. They were suspended on these real thin wires. And then the other ones were, were fully rotational. So regardless of what side of the room you were on, you could see them, which is really, really beautiful. And the lighting was great. And it, it was just, it, you could just stay in there forever forever I I think that was probably one of the best exhibitions I've ever been to and the reason why not just because it was free but actually the way it was displayed and the lighting was absolutely spectacular I had quite a few favorite tiaras Devonshire tiara was just absolutely incredible the rosemary tiara as well for me I was just like whoa this is on a different level yes Yes. oh my god I wish I didn't get to see the Westminster tiara it Mm. wasn't there when I went to the exhibit but I was hoping I would see it and those tiaras were ones that I wasn't really familiar with you know at that point I had only really been familiar with the ones that were still in the royal collection and so that was so fun because I got to research all of those tiaras and you know, look back at photos and see where those um, might have ended up. And it's just amazing to to think about the, the occasions in which those all would have been worn together. Yeah, it was a really spectacular thing. They ha- Didn't they have like Napoleon Bonaparte's uh, yeah. wife's tiara yeah. there as jo- well? Yeah, I think Josephine. they did, yeah. 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 It was just amazing. It, was it really, really was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Are you coming to London for the coronation? I don't know. I, I really want to. I don't know if my schedule will let me. I think I will still be in classes at the time, but I'm, I am in New York. And so the flight is not yeah, so not too long bad. anymore. When I was, I was living in California when I went this summer. So I'm hoping I'll be there. And so if I do dis- decide to go, we'll yeah, definitely. We'll <laughs> Catherine, thank you so much for your time and your expertise. I have absolutely loved our conversation. Where can the Royal Community find you? They can find me on Instagram at the Royal Jewelry Box. And that is where I am located. I'm on stories and on posts as well and always reachable in the DMs. Royal Community, any of the jewelry pieces that we've mentioned today, we will post in our stories um, just so you can get a visual of what we're talking about. Because sometimes you might recognize some pieces, but... You know, it's always good to look at some sparkles, isn't it? <laughs> and yeah, actually, Rachel, that's a really good idea. Maybe you could create a highlight on our Instagram. So if you're listening in the future, you can just go to our Instagram and they'll be in the highlights. Absolutely. But I would say definitely check out Catherine's Instagram because... Oh, yes. Honestly, Catherine, we could speak to you for hours. Like this has <laughs> just been so interesting for us as well, because, you know, we, we love jewellery, but sometimes we don't know necessarily the history behind the pieces so it's been really great to get an insight of someone actually who knows the ins and outs of these pieces and like we said like hopefully in the future we'll see a lot more of them we'll get to see some pieces that we don't really get to see enough of and think the next big thing is the coronation which obviously we're all looking forward to we'll get a little taste of tiaras i believe in november they're doing there's a state visit from south africa which is really interesting considering, you know, the Queen's relationship with South Africa was very warm. Um, and there were a lot of pivotal moments in her and her time as, as Queen that occurred in South Africa. And so hopefully we'll see some tiaras then as a little taste, definitely from the Queen consort, hopefully from the Princess of Wales, but the coronation will be next level and it'll be something we haven't seen in 70 years. So I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you so much for your time, Catherine. Honestly, we just love this conversation. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you so much to Catherine for coming onto the podcast. If you want to follow her over on Instagram, it's at the Royal Jewelry Box, her Instagram handle. Shell, oh my gosh, I've learned 
so much today. So much. Honestly, Royal Community, I don't know whether you realised how quiet Rachel and I were when Catherine was talking, because we literally were just fangirling over all of the information (laughs) Catherine was giving us. She is just amazing. And one thing I will say, Royal Community, we did press pause before we did this outro, and we've been talking to Catherine for another hour, which was just, she's so lovely go over and follow her on Instagram. If you are British, she does spell jewellery in the American way, doesn't she, Rachel? So just so you know. And there will be a link over on Instagram, like Rachel said, of all of the jewellery pieces that we mentioned. And just, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited. Royal community, come on over and leave us a voice note on Instagram. Let us know what you thought about this episode. What did you learn that was new from Catherine? What pieces did you love that we talked about? Maybe a tiara moment? you never know let us know over on instagram and we will play it in next week's episode thank you so much for being here if you would love to get in touch with rachel and i you can over at keeping up with the winds as pod at gmail.com and don't forget we're over on youtube doing royal videos as well so come on over subscribe like and watch some of the videos over there we would love to have you as part of the royal community over on youtube And that's it for this week. Thank you so much for Catherine for our lovely Royal Community Spotlight episode. We'll see you next week on Keeping Keeping Up up With the Windsors. Windsors.